Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week... I'm talking to Sula Emanuel about her literary novel, Wild Geese. Sula is a trans writer who was born in Dublin to an Irish mother and a Greek father. She attended university in Ireland and Sweden, graduating with a master's in demography. She was longlisted for Penguin's Right Now programme in 2020, took part in the Stinging Fly Fiction Summer School in 2021 and was a participant in the Madeleine Milburn Literary Agency's mentorship programme for 2021 to 2022. And she currently lives on Ireland's east coast. In this episode, we discuss her subversion of an Irish emigrant novel, her goal to write a beautiful book, and why she likes to experiment and try things out early on in a draft. But before that, here's Sula with an excerpt from Wild Geese. Shut up, I cry, fishwifely. Okay, okay. It's a generous all-clear or a selfish clear-off. She starts yapping the moment the key scratches the lock. I don't know why. It's part of a fascination with doors. My best guess is that they spark in her a notion etched somewhere in the frontal cortex, and so every evening she finds herself sat beneath the bluish aurora light of an idle television, hidden by transient fear. But neglect amounts to a death of spirit, and she's right to fear it. She's a wise and perceptive dog, with a rake of Maslowian anxieties. Hello, my dear, I call out, but now she says nothing because her mouth is full. I flick a light switch, and once invisible behind, behind the sitting room door, she click-clacks along the wooden floor of the hall with a red rubber bone in her teeth. The same thing she did the first time I met her, on this spot a year and a half ago. I've come to interpret it as a calling card, one placed eagerly at my feet like an offering of alms. She runs her head between my hands with pack-pond eagerness. She gives an excited dry sneeze. Dolly is a ten-year-old beat on freeze. Her fur smells like bran flakes and her breath smells like rotting flesh. Most of the time she's a languid trip-over dog, a little cat of a dog, though in her usual stance, splayed sideways on the floor, she looks more like a baby polar bear. She came with the flat and has a greater claim to its ownership than I do. An animal's role, its alternating corner in the drama triangle of domestic life, is of much greater significance than its name or even its species. To me, Dolly is inhabited by the ghost of an older woman, an anxious, wandering soul, whittled by grief and injury, reborn as an apartment-friendly dog, the sort of being for whom pet is a term of endearment and not a subject status. 
Ours is a relationship of calm through mutual attention. There you are again, Phoebe. We only truly exist to the extent that we furnish each other's eyeballs. And that is what I need. Be seen but not remembered. I am, in a manner of speaking, an adolescent now. An adolescent again. And I know from experience that the best legacy I can bequeath my, twi- bequeath my twice adult self is as limited a record of my hormonal indiscretions as possible. So I spend my throwaway years with Dolly, who can be trusted not to betray them. Hi, Sula. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, Wild Geese. Hi, thank you for having me. So can you start by telling us what Wild Geese is all about? Well, Wild Geese is about an Irish trans woman whose name is Phoebe, and she she's about three years into her transition and is living in Copenhagen. And, uh, one, and she's working as a PhD student. And uh, one weekend, she gets a surprise visit from an ex-girlfriend of hers from before her transition back in Ireland. And her name is Grace. And they spend the weekend together. And kind of through that, we get an exploration of how they've changed. They kind of look at their early 20s from the perspective of their late 20s. And in that sense, it's kind of a spin on novels about second chance relationships. But it's also an exploration of the way people change and how their circumstances can kind of shape how they, how they change over time. Yeah, and Grace and Phoebe have got such an interesting relationship in the sense that they have a past and they're kind of navigating this new situation and confronting how they feel towards each other, but also themselves because they're both going through things at the same time. I was wondering, though, if you could tell us where the title came from, because it's quite an unusual title. Um, Yeah, I... (laughs) I had this it's it's quite funny because I had a, I had a conversation with someone from Footnote like last year when I when I visited them in London and he was like obviously the name wild geese kind of comes from the Mary Oliver poem and that's kind of right but it's not really because like and that's part of why I love this title because it kind of means different things to different people in Ireland like the wild geese is a term that that is really evokes kind of emigration and particularly emigration to mainland Europe like the wild geese in historical terms were Jacobite generals who fled Ireland and went to France after being defeated by William of Orange in the 17th century uh, which is a far cry from from Mary Oliver but I think you kind of have to be Irish to recognize that reference so it's kind of it, it, it's almost like a secret code that only Irish people would recognize or maybe <laughs> people who, who know their way around history quite well but uh, there's also an element of the wild goose chase to the novel like there's a reference in the novel to that the kind of futile search for something that cannot be found and I don't know wild geese was probably the fourth title this novel had over the course of the time that I was working on it uh, but I really love it because it has that it, it has that coded element which I think is is really interesting from an emigrant point of view the way that Irish people when they're abroad can speak to each other in almost in a different language even if they're still speaking English so to speak and so it does mean different things to different people and I really enjoy that. Yeah I love titles that have got like, different layers to them like you say yeah. they mean different things to different people. Um, are you someone that I mean, you said this changed a couple of times, but are you someone that finds titles easy? I'm the total opposite. I find them really difficult. Um, I, yeah, no, I don't. I, 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 th- I think, <laughs> I think I had a lot of conversations with my agent where I felt like my titles were always either too commercial or too literary. It was like, I didn't, I, I found it really difficult to figure out one that was kind of, that kind of hit the sweet spot, mm. which I think Wild Geese did. So this novel started life as a lockdown project and I, I've seen a lot of um, debuts this year that that kind of started working on this book in lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about how this novel came about, what inspired you to start, had you kind of always had this inspiration to write a novel and lockdown was that, that kick to do it? Um, 
yeah it, it kind of came out of nowhere um I kind of always thought that I would write something uh, and kind of like had a vague idea that I would like to write something kind of before I was 35 and I'm not 35 yet but I kind of found myself at a loose obviously like a lot of people found myself at a loose end in the spring of 2020 and I found it really interesting to think about how the how the escapism in Wild Geese kind of changed over the course of the time that I was writing it because like the, in obviously the first la the first draft was really written during the first lockdown and it started off as this kind of way of imagining myself in a different place of kind of being in a, in a and it, you know people weren't able to go on holidays mm -hmm. in in during lockdown and I actually in a very literal sense I was supposed to go to the south of Sweden to visit my old friends from college um in March of 2020 and that trip didn't happen um and so it became a way of thinking myself back to somewhere that I knew well and kind of kind of get, get getting into that kind of wanting to be somewhere else but then over time it kind of became about how the world had changed over the course of the pandemic and how like it maybe took on a slightly darker turn of how the pan through the pandemic we had kind of learned something about the way we treat each other and how we would cope in a crisis and I found that interesting because it, it's it became about interdependence it was not it was less about isolation and more about the, the, the interdependence of people on other the reliance of people on other people and I wonder kind of if we if we've really learned those lessons from COVID yet and I don't know if we really have mm. but I found it really interesting how my view of how the how the novel related to the pandemic kind of changed over time. Yeah and I guess you were editing at different points and different mm -hmm. drafts and it's inevitable that what's happening in the world and around you feeds into what you're writing so I suppose maybe it, it got less stark as it as it went on but then there were certain things about the pandemic that still I mean it's not a pandemic novel I should say that no about that but the kind of um maybe your the characters interactions were slightly different as as edits went on or, or did you did you feel that yeah I think it became it, it became a slightly more serious novel I think it probably started out as as, as I mean it really was as kind of a, a pandemic hobby mm. so to speak but um it kind of turned into some a more serious exploration of the way that we relate to each other and how dependent we are on other people um, mm. over the course of it. So tell us a little bit more about Phoebe then how would you describe her I mean I'm guessing she started as you? No it's great pretty well did start as me I kind of because <laughs> you're always like when you're writing a novel especially a novel like this you're always in danger of having people assume that the main character mm. is kind of just a version of yourself and obviously there are significant kind of bio biographical similarities between me and Phoebe but um I kind of think I think I'd find Phoebe a little bit insufferable I <laughs> think she's 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 all sort of cloistered away in her little apartment I think she's a little her life her life seems ever so slightly joyless and I think I think I think it would drive me slightly insane after a while but, but I think what I was trying to do in creating Phoebe as a character was to to have this kind of heightened representation of the anxiety and the real kind of the incredible self-awareness that a certain kind of I suppose I'd, I'd say a kind of a middle-class white trans woman would have early in transition. They're kind of new to being treated as an object within society and they don't quite know how to deal with it. And I suppose that's that's where Phoebe, she, Phoebe is learning those lessons. I like to think that I learned those lessons before she did. <laughs> did you kind of consciously at points make her behave in a very different way to how you would behave? Or was it just that the more you started writing Phoebe, she kind of took off in a life of her own? Um, 
Yeah, uh, I think I was sort of thinking if if I if I lived in a third floor apartment and someone knocked at my door on, thir- on a Thursday evening at eight o'clock or whatever it was, would I even answer the door? Was kind of the question. You know, you're sitting there thinking, would I? You know, sometimes you have to bend a character a little bit to make them do things that mm. uh, that keep keep the story going. But uh, yeah, no, I think as time went on, she did become. Um, less like me and because because I think probably Grace became more like me and so it, it, there was a need to kind of to develop these characters and to get to get close to get deeper into them so to speak. Mm. Yeah it's funny isn't it because I think like you mentioned so many people assume that your main character is you particularly when you're writing a debut like everyone's always like oh so that is you and you and it's hard to fight that expectation and I think as well, you're you're conscious of it as a writer because every time you start writing, you're thinking, okay, is this voice, is this character just me? Is it all my characters sounding the same? And obviously Grace comes in and completely shakes up Phoebe's world, which is, you know, what, what we want from the story. Um, she's Phoebe's ex. She she kind of she pushes Phoebe to kind of uncomfortable areas and is quite invasive sometimes in her questioning and because she's she's known Phoebe before she's transitioned, there are you know moments where you're just like Grace, just shut up, like leave <laughs> her alone. So tell us a little bit more about Grace and what you kind of wanted to explore within their relationship. Yeah, I was just thinking when we were talking before about uh, about the dynamic between Phoebe and Grace. One of the things about this novel is kind of like it's a very intimate novel in the sense that it only really has two main characters but they're kind of there's a past and there's a future and there's almost there's this this almost cast of characters that aren't real people but that kind of exist in the background like Phoebe's pre-transition self and all the rest of it so it's this it's more complicated than it looks it's not just two people walking around for for 240 pages it ends up being way more complicated than you might than you might expect but in terms of their relationship like I suppose it's a cliche to say that youth is is wasted on the young, but I suppose it's true as well, like a lot of cliches. But the novel kind of the novel starts out with Phoebe kind of deep in her feelings about how she wasn't kind enough to herself when she was younger. Like that's kind of the first thing that happens, like when Grace shows up, it kind of starts Phoebe talking about herself, really. Um, but as the story goes on, we realise that actually it, 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 the story becomes more and more about Grace and about the ways that Grace is struggling and maybe even more than Phoebe is in a lot of ways. And I, I, One of the things I liked about these two characters is because I think a lot of what, what is termed kind of millennial fiction focuses on particular kind of archetypes, particularly women, sort of the bookish kind of quiet woman or the sort of fleabag disaster woman kind of characters and I liked that in some ways Phoebe and Grace were both twists on them both that Phoebe Mm. was probably more chaotic than she had actually originally seemed and Grace had a lot more emotional depth than she had first seemed so it was kind of a way of moving past those archetypes and going a little bit deeper especially because these characters are a little bit older as well than than perhaps a lot of millennial art has been up to now. Mm. Yeah it's not that kind of what do they call it I don't know what you would call the genre but it's like the sad girl messy girl yeah yeah um they are they are beyond that point i would say but they are not too far away from it that they're they're not together like they're they're, they're their lives aren't complete they're still figuring out stuff and and making mistakes and and not always being that nice to each other and um but yeah you wouldn't call it that kind of typical sad girl uh yeah 
messed up girl fiction we're trying to give them I think we're trying to give them a little bit more self-esteem and a little bit more kind of they're able to have a little bit more of a self sense of humor about themselves and they're a little bit more like they do have slightly more self-confidence than than perhaps they would they would do if this was a novel about people in their early 20s tell us about the setting then in Copenhagen obviously this novel was you transporting yourself and wishing you were there I know it's a place that you know well what does the city mean to Phoebe then because that's her home um, it really means anonymity. Um, and I found that like interesting to think about, especially in the context of like tra- a particular kind of trans culture uh, of up until surprisingly, like really up until maybe 10 years ago of kind of trans women having to move to a, a city that's a strange city to escape their past and kind of having to start a new life from scratch. Except, of course, that Phoebe doesn't really need to do that. She's 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 really running away from a kind of sense of shame rather than um, rather than any any real danger. And of course, because and because the world has gotten smaller and because of the internet and social media, her life kind of catches up to her anyway. So, in a weird way, Copenhagen it it, it plays the role of that kind of trans woman moving to a strange city, but it also has that. It's a subversion of a particular kind of Irish emigrant novel where the Irish person goes back to Ireland and sees how things have changed and kind of confronts their past in that way. And this is a different kind of novel because it's it's a 21st century spin on it. It's the past that comes to her rather than her going back, Um, which I think is really interesting and kind of a spin on what's been done before in terms of Irish novels about immigration. But also I I was really aware in writing this that like, I am contrasting Phoebe's relatively quiet life as an EU citizen in an EU country with the way that Denmark and Sweden have kind of become symbols of anti-migrant politics. Like Phoebe is escaping, really she's escaping a lot of feelings about herself, but other people who are going to these countries are fleeing much bigger things. Hmm. I wondered as well, it gives you the idea that Phoebe is giving Grace almost this tour of the city and giving her the kind of cultural context and the historical context. It gave you a nice way to structure the novel. Did that was that kind of a natural progression of just you writing, or had you thought um, about the city and okay, we need to we need to visit this and we need to explore this in this in this in the story? It's a really clever way of doing it when you think about it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I did it on purpose but it's great instead of doing psychogeography you just do geography you just have them go around to places and talk about stuff um, it's but yeah I, I I do it's 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 got this like I suppose it's got this really nice feel to it. like Copenhagen obviously is a city that evokes fairy tales it obviously has the little mermaid and it it has this feel, this novel, I kind of felt, I was thinking of this, the, the fairy tale Chicken Licken, which may or may not be Danish, I looked it up, nobody really knows. Um, but there's that sense of these characters, the backdrops move around them rather than them moving the, through the backdrops. It's kind of these two people having an adventure, wandering around the city and learning new things as they go. And so it does have this kind of weird fairy tale feel to it that I really enjoy. And I feel like that's very, that's very, that's very essential to Copenhagen as a city, I would say. Mm. Uh, it just made me want to visit it straight away I was like I need to I need to be there so I, I can I can feel the sort of like logging and and pining in the novel to to be mm. elsewhere um one of the things that I adored about this book and about your writing is that you have such a beautiful lyrical way of just describing the everyday and that totally ticks all my boxes of what I enjoy in fiction so is that something that for you 
comes very easily, very naturally in your writing? Or are those kind of images and metaphors something that you have to work for later on? You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, I really have to work for them later on. No, I'm, I'm that writing really a first draft. It surprises me that you say that. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm writing a first draft like right now. And I can say like, you know, lyricism really doesn't come naturally to me. I like, I am a social science graduate and I write like a social science graduate. It's so <laughs> dry. I, like I, my first drafts could have charts in them. Like it's so dry and detached. Um, But for this novel in particular, I feel like a part of what I was trying to do was to like show the beauty in trans interiority. Um, like I even when I, when I go back and read Bits of Wild Geese, it's such a deeply written novel. Everything has layers of meaning to it. It's so like it's intensely written in a way that is reflective, I think, of a particular way in which in which Phoebe as a trans woman is stifled because she's she's writing so deeply about a relatively constrained life. Mm. And I kind of wanted to show the, the stifled potential created by, not just by by transphobia, but also by Phoebe's, the, the transphobia that exists in Phoebe's own head. Because it's yeah. not just like people are mean to Phoebe, she's actually quite mean to herself. Um, and so that was really, I suppose if I had an artistic goal in writing this novel, it was that. It was to write a novel that was, to write, you know, to write a novel that was beautiful. Mm. And to show that that could be done, like trans women can write novels that are traumatic or we can write novels that are acerbic. But my goal really here was to write a novel that was beautiful and just to kind of show that that could be done. Well, I mean, goal achieved. 
hundred <laughs> percent. But like, but this, this thing, the problem is now I have this expectation that this is you're you're going to be writing beautiful novels forever. So I'm sorry, the charts and the social science has got to go, and the beauty has got to come in in the in the next uh, work that you do. Um, it does surprise me that you say that it comes harder to you because um, it felt to me that you. I mean, maybe this is because you were intentionally writing Phoebe as someone who was very um, focused on like the minutiae of life, but it, it struck me that they, it felt like it did come easily to you to write these beautiful images just because it's, it's done so well. I always think that you can tell people who really think about imagery in their writing and think about the kind of lyricism of a sentence, um, but then perhaps your first drafts just start as she walked across the room. <laughs> I think my first drafts start, it, they, they're really stuck in people's heads. That's where I feel like looking at the first draft I'm writing now, it's very, like, it's not, it's not stage directions. It's almost, it's just very abstract and it's very in people's heads. And it's like, she was thinking this, she was thinking this, but there's nothing really going on. And that's <laughs> where my, that's why my first, first drafts, like what I need to work on then is description and like making things happen and creating a setting and all the rest of it. Yeah, that that the kind of mechanics of, of story writing is is what I find hardest. It's the the kind of plotting, which I don't enjoy either. I'm like, why do they have to go anywhere? Why do they have to do anything? Why can't they just stay where they are and think things and you know, beautiful sentences appear? Um, one thing that you mentioned, which I want to want to touch on again, is that you talked about this idea that um, as a trans woman, you have to be writing, you know a certain thing or there's a certain expectation about the kind of novels that you're going to write and I think um, obviously there are not enough books about trans lives written by trans people certainly not um, in the mainstream and I wondered whether you felt that kind of pressure of fulfilling this trans experience in inverted commas um, and, and, and tell everyone's story or did you did you not worry about that? Did you try to kind of leave that aside and think, I'm just going to write the book that I want to write? It probably helped. Like for the first year or so that I was working on this novel, I wasn't really consciously writing it with a view to getting it published, which probably like I wasn't thinking like I am going to write the great trans novel. It wasn't that wasn't how I was thinking about it. And I think if I had been thinking about it, I would have been like, what the hell am I doing writing the great trans novel? Um, but so my my focus in the end was kind of less on trans representation and more on trans interiority and on and like trans interiority. Is, I mean, interiority in itself is different from person to person. So it's not really about saying, oh, this is what all trans people think. Mm. Um, but when I spoke to Footnote about it last year, I remember um, describing the writing style of the book as being kind of it's kind of written from the end of Phoebe's eyelash. So you can kind of see the inside and you can see the outside and you're kind of on the borderline between the two. So it's really a novel about a way of perceiving the world rather than kind of this is what trans people's lives are like. This is what happens to them. You know, it, it, it's it's more it's more about the lens than it is about kind of representation in, in the broader sense. That is I love that image of the story being told from that eyelash. That's just incredible, um, particularly when people worry about kind of point of view and and how you're going to tell a story and I think sometimes that third person perspective or first person even you worry about where you're telling the story from and I, I just love that I love that image of being on someone's eyelash that's great I read that you were writing Wild Geese 
as you were transitioning. And I imagine that writing kind of Phoebe's very interior thoughts and she's going through, we said, you said that you feel like you were at a later stage in your mindset than Phoebe is in the novel. But I wondered whether it brought up kind of certain emotional things for you and difficult topics and whether you felt that the process of writing it was cathartic or whether um, you had any kind of methods to kind of separate yourself from the emotional side of it because I know when I've spoken to other writers who are dealing with kind of deeply personal topics that they have found that sometimes they just need to kind of take a step back and have a break and look after themselves in some way I was wondering what the experience was like for you yeah it was it was cathartic but it was also it was also really tough um there were breaks like there were periods where I I would take I would take several months away from the novel in order to kind of to center myself again so to speak but like the other thing is as I said before like I was trying to write a beautiful novel but sometimes you don't really want to write a beautiful novel you kind of just want to scream into a pillow and there were definitely times like that where I felt like this is you know it it it, it gets on top of you a little bit mm-hmm. um there's a lot of because I think the discourse around trans people has actually gotten worse since I started writing this novel and in that sense like you feel like you're right, you know, they feel like there was a degree of optimism there in 2020 that isn't there now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's getting harder and harder to, it was, it was a sense that maybe it was getting harder and harder to write something like that, something something self-consciously beautiful um, as time went on. Um, one thing I suppose I would say is, is that when you're writing about experiences that are relatively close to your own, it, it's, it is probably easier to know where your limits are. I mean, there's a, I mean, all novels are personal novels in their own way because you always put an element of, of yourself into them. But there is an element of control in all in if, if we can call Wilkie's autofiction. I don't know that we really can, but like in writing about things that are relatively close to your own experience, you can kind of say, "Oh, oh, I, I can't, I can't write about this, but I can write about this instead." Whereas I think when you're writing about experiences outside of you, which is kind of what I'm doing now, sometimes you can find aspects of yourself coming up where you didn't really expect them to. And so in some ways, there's a degree of safety in writing about the self, which might be why more people are doing that nowadays. Mm. Because I feel like there's a lot of anxiety, particularly, you know, there's a lot of anxiety in, in, in the generation of writers coming up, the one that I am in. And I feel like part of why, part of how that, that anxiety manifests itself is that people write about themselves because they feel unsure about writing things further away from themselves. Mm. Also, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I also feel that there's in some ways an expectation, certainly when you are a new author, you know, to have this kind of presence online that's very much yourself and to um, pitch articles or interviews that are somehow linked to your novel, but also about your personal life and it's very obviously there's no obligation and your publicist will never say I want you to give a tell all to the Guardian about whatever but um, there are points sometimes where maybe you feel like you have to dredge up things in your life to somehow promote your book I mean I don't know it I'm I know that probably for you every interview there's always questions where you're thinking like if only I hadn't written this book and I'd written a nice crime novel, I wouldn't have had to answer these questions. But um, but how, how have you found have you found it kind of 
um difficult to to have to be so I guess you're being personal in the novel but it, it's a different it's a different kind of um uh closeness when you're being interviewed about yourself I guess about your book yeah and I I mean yeah and I feel like my relationship to social media has gotten worse over the course of the last few years like I'm now kind of on the brink of leaving Twitter and like it's 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 just not doing me any good anymore but also there's an element I, I like and it, it it drives me slightly mad to say this but there's an element of I think people are fatigued reading about trans people and like they're so and I, I and I don't when I say reading about trans people they're not reading stuff that trans people are saying they're reading stuff about that you know cis people are writing about trans people and it can be kind of when you're a new author who's not that well known it can almost be more difficult to get yourself out there because people are like oh another trans person and it's like I don't know it's yeah there's part of me that wishes I like, maybe wishes I had written something different but I also feel like this was something I really wanted to write and I feel it, that I have a level of control over it that I wouldn't have had if I had written something different. I feel like I can, I, I, I know my own history pretty well, so to speak. So I, I, I can kind of, I can control that narrative pretty well. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been challenging to, to feel, I mean, I think all authors feel really under, under scrutiny, especially debut authors, but I, you do get it more when you're a trans person writing about being trans. Mm. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your writing routine and process. We've established that you're a social scientist and there potentially could be charts in your novels and, and uh, very uh, not very beautiful sentences but lots of interiority but tell us a little bit more about kind of how you write, what you what you find most difficult, give us a little kind of insight into your writing life. Um, yeah, easily the most challenging part of writing a novel for me is getting out of first draft. I know that's that's true of, I would say, most writers. But like in my head, I have done, I have a sort of, I have tentative, tentatively got it in my head that I'm going to have the first draft of my second novel done by the end of June. And I'm kind of counting down the days for that because once I can start editing it, then the fun really begins. And then the beautiful sentences come. But right now it's just, it's just a matter of getting ideas out on a page so that I can think about them a bit more. Um, because like when you get editing, like you, you start finding unexpected connections between different ideas and everything starts to come together and looks more coherent. And it's it's an incredibly satisfying process. Like, I mean, I really like I really enjoyed each draft of editing Wild Geese just because it, it felt like you're making this really brilliant progress over each each draft. The first draft didn't quite feel like that. Mm. Um, then again, I mean, I kind of wrote, I wrote an 80,000 word first draft for Wild Geese or for what became Wild Geese in the space of three months in 2020. And I don't think I could do that now. I'm like, I could not write that long a first draft in that shorter space of time. And I kind of put that down to being like a person with a slightly broken brain where I seem to thrive in times of crisis. Um, like it's actually the more I think about it, the more on brand it is for me to have written a novel kind of out of nothing during lockdown. But I would say with as I'm writing now, I've, I've grown in confidence and I'm a bit more outward looking in my approach to writing, but I've also learned to be experimental and to try things out early on. Um, like in the novel I'm writing now, characters' personalities are kind of changing from scene to scene because I haven't quite figured them out yet. I think when, when writing Wild Geese, I was probably slightly more hesitant about trying out things and just saying, okay, if this needs to be changed, it needs to be changed, it doesn't really matter. Mm. So I'm a bit, I'm probably a bit more freewheeling now than I was before. And are you someone 
that ideas come to you quite easily or has it been difficult? I know we kind of talk about the cliche second novel or second album syndrome, but um, what's it been? I mean, I'll ask you later about what it's about. Hopefully you can give us a little tease, but what's it been like to kind of come up with an idea knowing um, that you've already got a novel under your belt, but you've got to write another one? That's where kind of the intimacy of Wild Geese becomes kind of becomes an advantage because I feel like that novel was so personal that there's a whole world of things that I could write about now and I don't feel like I've I wonder if I'd written something really kind of sprawling would I would I be worried now that I'd run out of things to write about whereas I don't feel like that about Wild Geese because it was such a self-contained little project and mm. um, so it doesn't it, it, there's a sense of it, it, be, it feels like a stepping stone in a way that I'm not sure every debut novel does and so I sort of feel very fortunate in that way. And had you written anything before Wild Geese? Like, I know this was your kind of like fun lockdown project, but was there anything that you'd worked on short stories or novels in the past when you were younger, maybe? No, um, no, I, yeah, I, I was way too locked up in my own head to think about writing a novel before, before I had transitioned. Um, like I was a quite an imaginative person growing up and I kind of depended on that to keep me going at times when I was very unhappy. But the idea of turning that into something creative or something artistic never really crossed my mind. Um, it's it's weird to take something like an instinct maybe that you depended on for survival and then to turn it into something you can share with others. Um, and I haven't really got my head quite around that. But now I'm a published novelist uh, and not just someone who's kind of incapable of dealing with reality, which is what I was for like the first 25 years of my life. What was it like then to share your book? Your Well, what was it like to share Wild Geese with editors and and um, your agent then if it was if it was um the first thing you'd written I mean how did you how did you know it was good I guess um I truthfully I didn't um, I was kind of very dependent on other people's feedback which is not which is not necessarily a great place to be I think I was because I was probably less inexperienced than the average author going on submission I was probably slightly more vulnerable than I realized I was at the time and um you know, it, I mean, it, submission is hell for like all debut authors. And I, I came through it reasonably intact. But um, I definitely think that, that was one of those moments where I feel like I would have benefited from maybe a little bit more experience. Uh, and that's a lesson that I kind of had to learn the hard way. But it's kind of the way my life worked out. Doing things on the fly slightly is... is it's it, my life has always been a bit seat of the pants, and I suppose that was not This was there's no real was no exception because you applied for the Madeleine Milburn Literary Agency's mentorship program in 2021. How was that experience for you, and um, what made you apply? Is that and is also is that how you came to get your agent? Yeah, that is how I came to get my agent. Um, the the main thing kind of about the the, the Madeleine Milburn mentorship program, and the, the kind of thing the thing that attracted me to it, and the thing that I always tell people about it when I'm t- talking about it to them, is that it, you don't need to have a finished manuscript to enter. It's more based on potential, uh, and I love that because I think nowadays there are fewer and fewer initiatives in publishing that are kind of geared towards potential rather than having a, a finished product. Um. It was obviously wonderful and slightly mind-boggling to be selected out of 1,500 applicants along with uh, with seven other seven, seven other people. 
Uh, I'm actually the first in my year's group, the 2021 group, to have been published. So I've kind of been their canary in the coal mine in the group chat, kind of giving them the lowdown on the publication <laughs> process and all the rest of it. How has the publishing experience been for you, kind of the process of it? Have you found, I know we've spoken a little bit about this already, but has there been anything that has been particularly surprising or challenging for you? I know, obviously, we've talked about the submission process, but what about the process since you signed? Has there been anything in that experience of working with an editor or doing publicity? Or is there anything you've kind of learned that's been or that was difficult or that you um, had to cope with? As I said, like I kind of moved so quickly into publishing, like I literally went from having never written fiction before to having a book deal in less than two years. And like I was a complete outsider to, to publishing. And like, that's great. And it's slightly mad, but the publishing industry is really not set up for a situation like that. I think especially in literary publishing, it's probably true in genre as well. And um, profile matters so much nowadays and I was at a huge disadvantage as a newcomer in that I didn't really have an established profile and um, like I hadn't been shortlisted for short for short story prizes or anything like that and I think when you especially in literary publishing you're not just putting forward a piece of writing you're really putting yourself forward as a person and your background and your connections come under a, come under really intense scrutiny in a way that I don't think I was entirely prepared for I think literary publishing is becoming more like poetry where it's very social and it's very driven by events and it's very personality driven and you can't really just be someone sitting in a room writing novels. And for me, like I'm autistic. So I found, found like this stuff, this sort of the unwritten social rules of publishing have hit me like an absolute ton of bricks. Um, I'm glad like Footnote were able to find me because they really understood what I was doing and gave me the freedom to do it the way that I wanted. And I've been extremely lucky in that respect, but um, Publishing is a very risk averse industry and luck will only get you so far because I think publishing wants safe bets rather than lucky ones. We could talk about the the industry weirdness mm. for days. <laughs> so finally, Zula, can you tell us anything about what you're working on next? Um, yeah, I, I'm going back to my roots um, and I'm writing about Greece because um, I'm I'm half Greek and half Irish. Um, so it's I'm writing this kind of cross-cultural Irish Greek novel. So in, it's it's personal, but in a completely different way to Wild Geese. Uh, so what I'm writing is kind of a family drama and an exploration of grief. And it's um, it's also it's set in 1990s. So it's also kind of it looks at the end of the Cold War and the optimism of that period and how it kind of didn't quite live up to people's expectations. I think how people thought the world would become smaller and more just, but it maybe only just became smaller. Um, there's also an exploration in it. It's, it's set in Crete, which is the, the island that my father comes from. And um, obviously there's a lot of archeology span in Crete. It's got, it's, it's sort of a cradle of civilization, so to speak. And part of what I wanted to explore in the novel is the role that it plays in the, the popular imagination, like Greece, is often seen as the cradle of European civilization, but it's also the border of Europe. And like it was on the frontier of Europe during the Cold War, it had a civil war over communism. And now it's on the frontier of the migrant crisis. So I thought it was really interesting to explore that, that, that kind of tension between Greece as a kind of, Greece as being the center of civilization, but also being on the border of it. Um, and as a concept, I feel like the novel has really been coming together in my mind over the last while. It's like very, it's very me, but it's also completely different from what I've written before. So I'm really excited about it. Well, that's great because publishing always says that you should write the same but different. So, I mean, that sounds yeah. Good. <laughs> well, that sounds fantastic, Sula. I can't wait to read it. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. 
That was Sula Emanuel talking about her literary novel, Wild Geese, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.